And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Held in sweltering temperatures at the Saxon Ring that was a cauldron of fans, passion and speed. We saw Fabio Quattararo as the winner of the German MotoGP after a battle of survival as track temperatures were at 50 degrees plus Celsius, nigh on tropical levels. Reigning champion Quattararo, he led every lap to cross the line five seconds ahead of Johan Zarco, second, and Jack Miller, third, to give the Yamaha rider a 34-point lead in the title hunt, which, compared to the same point in the championship 12 months ago, he had a 40-point lead in the points table. So it's all super smooth, at the moment at least, for the 23-year-old. Toby Moody here with Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi, and we're going to talk about Quattararo's third win and sixth podium in 10 Grand Prix. Zarco still knocking on the door of a GP win, but no one has yet to open it for him. How Peko Banyaya has lost all hope of a championship challenge after now four crashes in 10 Grand Prix with his Ducati. Aprilia's day in the sun with Alicia Spargaro and Maverick Vinales was looking brilliant, both up for a podium, only for Vinales's suspension to dramatically fail. And also, Honda, utterly nowhere. A sad day as they fail to score any points at all for the first time in decades. So then, who are we going to start with, Val or Simon? Who's going to kick off Quattararo, suffering after a cold all weekend, but he kept it together. He said, I must always be in the first positions in the early laps, otherwise I would struggle to overtake. Val. Yeah, if there's any silver lining for Quattararo's rivals, it's... You know, it's just they can look at Franco Morbidelli's races and sort of make a mental correction of, of pace. Morbidelli is not that far back compared to Quartararo to be finishing that far down, but Morbidelli gets stuck behind other bikes all the time and can't do anything. So if there's any silver lining, it's the idea that maybe in some races they could trap Quartararo and do the same thing to him. So not like 18th, 15th, but like 7th, 6th. But... I don't know, man. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just talking here. I don't believe it. I don't really believe it at all. Carter does not crash. He starts great. He's quick, quick enough in qualifyings. He's always quick on Sundays. I, the only way I see him losing the title is if like a, a Mick Doohan happens to him, and I, I don't even want to entertain that thought. Definitely not. So, especially as uh, we're going to Aston. Yeah. Yeah. Quite. Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah. again, even then, he doesn't crash. You don't get injured if you don't crash. So mm. I mm. I don't know. I think it's his. And I know that like like a few months ago, it's like there's no way Yamaha is winning this title. But I didn't know. Okay, I didn't know that he was going to be <laughs> this good, and I didn't know that everything was going to collapse for Banyaya. Didn't know that. 
none of us did, mate. None of us did. Come on, come on. You know, uh, you were a bit hard on him, though. You were a bit hard on him. Hey, Simon, not on him. On the Yamaha. Si- I, Simon, I, uh, you know, when you, you're there trackside, he took a bit of a risk. He took a different tyre. He took a slightly softer rear Michelin for the race. And arguably, that was the thing that didn't give him a Banyara crash. Is that the way you look at it? Or is it just super confidence from Quattararo at the moment? He's on the crest of a wave and then some. I genuinely think he's so confident that it wasn't a risk. He knew exactly what he was doing. Um, he had an inkling that, like Val says, he needed to make an early escape. And that's why he went with the slightly softer tire so that he could sort of crack the whip the minute the lights went out. Game plan was executed. Um, he never really looked to be in any danger from anyone, including Bagnaya, up to the point where Bagnaya crashed out. And speaking to uh, Alicia Spagaro last night, who, who's now still second in the championship to him, Alicia was just defeated after the race. He was like, like how do we beat him? How do we beat him? I, he's faster than me every Sunday, and I don't know how to beat him. And that, I think, is the vibe that the entire grid have. You know, they they have two options at the minute, it seems. They can finish second to him or they can crash out trying to close him down, but they can they can't stop him. Um and, and while there is the opportunity for them to like you say, Val, to box him in or slow him down at a few races coming up, the thing is, we're at the halfway point, he's built up a massive points hole at the front, and I just don't really see much of a chance to close down that lead substantially using that strategy because he can quite happily finish second or third for the rest of the season and he's still won the title now. That, you know, he doesn't have to even win another race. That's the strength of his start of the season. I, I think Banyai could have, could have had him, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Honestly, it wouldn't have mattered much if Banyai did have him. And Banyai finished first and Quartararo finished second, you know, 20 points instead of 25. Banya would have still been 60 behind. Uh, Espargaro would have still been around 30 behind. It, it, that doesn't make a difference. Those chunks are not going to defeat Quartararo. Uh, to defeat Quartararo, they basically they need his engine to fail or they need to him, for him to be caught up in the kind of crash that Banya was caught up in last time out. Um, I don't know. He's really good. He's really, really good and he doesn't crash, which I, I say over and over and over again in this podcast as if that's some sort of great analysis, but it's it's obvious and it's true and everybody sees it and everybody in the paddock will know it. And that's why, you know, there could be a hundred races to go, but they're not they're not outscoring him over any meaningful stretch of time because none of his rivals can string together the kind of two, three race run that he can. It's not happening. So I don't know. We'll see. Like, uh, Aprilia didn't look so bad this weekend. Particularly, I should say, Maverick Vinales' hands. It looked pretty, pretty special. Uh, the the new arrow they have is reasonably interesting, but I just there's not not that many races to go. Uh, I I heard Alesh say that Quartararo's lead is not that much with ten races to go. That it's thirty four points, and he's right in that there's two hundred and fifty left. But it would it would be an unprecedented turnaround. You don't make up 40-point gaps in MotoGP. In modern MotoGP, it does not happen. I, I don't know why, because it feels mathematically like it should, but no, and I, I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I hope to and, be proven the, wrong for a good run-in. But. And the thing is, we're, we're talking about the, the rivals as if there's more than one of them. But yeah. there's not, because that th- that's the 34-point yeah. lead, Despagaro. But then 
it's 61 points to Zarco and it's 72 to Bastianini in second. And you know, it yeah. just plummets from there. The, there's Bagnaia has 91 points back now. So it's not even like there are four or five guys in that 30 to 40 points bracket that where any one of them can potentially work to close it down or they can work together and blah, 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 blah. It, no, he's just got the steadily huge lead that he's building and building and building. He is so Lorenzo. Yeah. He's not even Valentino. He's, in my mind at least, my opinion, he's just Lorenzo on that Yamaha. Spooky, isn't it? Oh, he's better. I, I'm sorry. He's, uh, I'm sorry, Jorge. Simon and I are going to gang up on you now. <laughs> Lorenzo, maybe it's possible that Lorenzo, well, Lorenzo was in a different MotoGP. So I'm, you know, I'm comparing apples and oranges. It's, it's hard to say. But again, it comes down to Lorenzo. I would not be surprised if he had had more ultimate pace or more, more ability to get in the zone and just blitz everyone. But Lorenzo did make mistakes. He, he, he was not, Terminator, he had off weekends. He had weekends where he would chuck it in the gravel. I mean, he had such a, like, 2015, he should have won a lot more comfortably than he did. It should not have taken everything that it took. Fabio right now is just completely bulletproof. And I, I don't know, maybe it was Lorenzo in some seasons. Maybe I'm just, my memory is not so good. So, I don't know. Send your hate mail to simon's twitter account <laughs> i mean like no 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 i was actually gonna say like let's let's actually make a note of this moment because val's made an argument in the podcast that's convinced me he's right um but yeah in that context you are right he he doesn't make mistakes like a fabio quadraro crash is a rarity a don't get rarity. me wrong a fabio quadraro weird incident is not a rarity uh leather's bursting open visors falling off arm pump all sorts of strange things like that that appear out of nowhere um but they're the they're the weaknesses it's not the crashes and the good thing about those weaknesses is that he still scores points when they happen so even a you know the the, the worst weekend is still you know say barcelona last year where his leathers came open and he still finished in fifth with a big chunk of points well his worst result this year simon is a ninth position in qatar right yeah yeah, yeah. And that was that was weird. That was a bit weird. That was what soured me on the idea of a Yamaha title this year to begin with. But apparently, I mean, I, I don't think it was a blip so much as it was just it was one of those weekends where his rivals actually had something figured out. I don't know. It's what what I want to say is I have a theory that most of the Quartararo crashes I can remember, or at least a good chunk of them, were qualifying crashes, which is also kind of Marquez. But at this point. Fabio doesn't even crash in qualifying. He qualifies worse, but I wonder if he deliberately qualifies worse and doesn't push as hard to avoid a crash that could potentially injure him. Maybe, maybe not. He's, he's definitely not, not suggested that. But he, yeah, he Until last Saturday when he said he took his brain out. But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, but he always says he pushes 100%. And I far be it for me to doubt the greatest MotoGP rider of 2022. But I don't know if... He he can't be because he's not crashing. So either he's the, either he's an actual alien or has the ability to rewind time, or he does play it smart. And and in the one the first ever MotoGP crash was here in yeah. 2019. Like the first <laughs> it took so ever, long. the first ever. Consider that we're talking this far into the season. That's the first time he ever actually fell off one of these bikes through testing, through the first nine rounds, through everything. 
and he did take a lesson from it because he dislocated his shoulder. He was in a lot of pain afterwards. It, it taught him something. Um, and I think that maybe I don't buy the whole taking his brain out to qualify thing here. Yeah. Um, you know, because for one, his times weren't that spectacular. You know, he, he didn't go into the 19s, which sort of two and a half people did over the weekend because Alish probably should have until Franco Morbidelli got in his way. And, you know, he wasn't on the absolute ragged age. We, we've seen Fabio on the ragged age before. Didn't look like it. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you say with, when you compare it against the, the times of others, but sometimes you're just going out of your com- comfort zone and maybe that's what he was trying to say rather than take your brain out. Sometimes that your comfort zone, you know, you could bash around in one minute 20s or whatever or late 19s, whatever, but then just to go a couple of tenths quicker is is a big step for some people, for some people. So, ah, it doesn't matter. No points for Saturday. Points are on Sunday and that's what he did. I mean, he... Um, he said after the race, for me, the heat is worse than Thailand and Indonesia. What other hot stories have come out? I mean, uh, Simon, Val, uh, the, the the Honda story is is just beyond belief. I mean, yeah. Um, the words of Stefan Bradle tonight, who's, you know, basically like second to Mr. Honda in terms of brand loyalty to the company, um, were pretty spectacular that he was just like this isn't good enough that this is not acceptable um he sounded completely just done with the whole honda thing (laughs) um because they've built a bike that doesn't produce enough airflow around the riders to actually cool them and the guys were frying in their um frying in their suits you know i've heard riders complain about uh burning feet before it used to be a real problem at Aprilia in the Scott Redding days I remember him doing a media debrief one day with a tap with a hose running over his right ankle because it was burned um Toby you will remember Ducati having real problems with this back in the early days of their bike and drilling holes and fairings and I think even putting the first ever wings on the bike to try and increase airflow Catalonia 03 their first victory and Loris was on his knees on the podium because he was just and Bayliss his crotch and everything yeah. it, all around the back there was just he would it would it would seep from underneath the seat yes so they were sitting on a frying pan as well as airflow um, but I've never heard a rider complain before about their hands getting burned because of mm, the bike that's a new mm, thing to me and that is just that's nuts. And and we're talking about this now at the Saxon Ring, which is unusually warm for the Saxon Ring, but is not one of the hottest races of the year. What is this thing not going to be like whenever we go to Buriram, to Sepang, to, you know, yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. And they can't change it because the fairing is a homologated part. Um, it's no wonder that they're angry. And it, there's no There's no safety provision? Like to request a change on safety grounds because that strikes me as there wasn't there wasn't with Yamaha's engine valves. <laughs> Good. I one. don't know. I think I think they could try here. I I I I don't know if it would pass MSMA. I don't know if their rivals would let it happen. Um, because at the end of the day, if the alternative is you have to pull over and retire out of the race, then no, four more places for us. Um, uh, you say former places if they're not running 16th, 17th, 18th. Well, they're not running. Like, yeah, but look, 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 look at the way back, look at the way Yamaha are running at the minute. <laughs> Four bikes yeah, retiring out of 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th probably means that two of their machines can score points. So um, 
yeah, it's just, it's indicative of how wrong everything has gone at the minute. Um, the last time Honda failed to store constructors' points was at the French Grand Prix in 1982 because they boycotted the race. The last time that Honda failed to score points in a Grand Prix that they started was under stop in 1981. It's 41 years since this has happened. That's how bad it is. This is rock bottom. This is rock bottom. It doesn't get any lower than this. And, like, I think we've said it before in the podcast, whenever things have looked bad, but never this bad, like, how are heads not rolling? Hire people in Japan, people in Japan who were here this weekend, because very, very senior management were here this weekend. Whenever you see the boss of HRC giving someone a paddock tour, you know that there's very senior Honda people here. Um, How are they not looking at this and just thinking, we need to sack all these people responsible for these decisions? Because this is not about that. This is not about Mark Marquez not being there. Mark Marquez has not finished races before, and Hondas have still scored points in them. This is worse. This is different. Mm. Let me, for our listeners, Simon, just pull out a couple of quotes for the art- from the article that you posted online on the Sunday evening after the Saxon Ring Grand Prix concerning Paul Espargaro. He was obviously battered and bruised because he fell on Friday and he was, quote, unable to properly fill his lungs with the air in the hot temperatures, ultimately forced to pull out of the race. Um, the temperature of his bike topped 100 degrees Celsius and the inside and inside his foot reached as high as 50 Celsius. Quote, throughout all the weekend with pain, it's hard. Uh, got an injection before the race, less pain doesn't help. I couldn't breathe and I was getting a little dizzy plus the heat on my foot. It's a problem that we've already had for two years since I arrived and it got quite painful so I decided to retire. I couldn't continue, it was too extreme. Same happened to Nakagami and then of course the harsh words from Stefan Bradl who as you quite rightly say is Mr Loyal and actually wouldn't really say boo to a goose, he's a very gentle soul but he'd had enough yeah i mean what solution is there from this yeah apart from a written branch change of everything they've done and we thought they'd done that for this year with a bike that we thought was different and behaved differently and as the years went on it's just reverted back to what it was previously it's still an incredibly difficult bike to ride it still has no rear grip they're lost they're completely lost it's it's shocking it's it's uh it's also really confusing because, like, I'm not insane. It it looked decent in the preseason. It looked decent in Qatar. It's just... Yeah, they were in the podium this yeah. year. Paul led 17 laps in Qatar. The irony of Qatar, of course, is that we came out of Qatar going, Honda are pretty good, Yamaha are in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how times change. <laughs> Thank goodness it won't be the opener next year and I won't look <laughs> stupid again. So that's good. I'm sure you'll find another way. I'm sure I'll find another way. Thanks. We'll tee you up. Don't worry about that. Stick with us. We're your friends. Yeah. Well, Yamaha now lead the team's title after the victory from Fabio Quattararo. They are top of the pile there, just ahead of Aprilia Racing. Uh, knocking on the door of leading the Constructors' Championship whilst Honda are still dead last. Just to throw it in there, because I, I did the math before the race, but not after the race, so I'm not sure of the exact latest, but of the, the 
bleeding the points that they have in the team's championship. I think if you took away Morbidelli's, they'd still be second. That's how impressive Quartararo yeah. has been this year. That, that makes sense because Morbidelli has not been scoring. So that, that yeah, I think he had scored. Sense. I think he scored twenty twenty seven points, something mm-hmm. like that, so far this year. Frankie's yeah. having a Lorenzo twenty nineteen season. Yeah, Simple and as that. they basically won the team's championship. Uh, Honda won the team's championship that year, yeah. thanks to Mark Marquez plus twenty points from Lorenzo. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Joanne Zarco was properly in trouble hanging after the race in Park Ferme, utterly shattered. And even by the time, and it was a while because of Quattararo's celebrations until they got up to the to the green room back of the podium, he said the last laps he found really, really hard, but still a second position. He I mean, can you imagine being French at the moment? Can you imagine us Brits having a one-two? I try to never imagine being French. Easy. I can't imagine us Brits having a one too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Valid point, Val. Uh, yeah. Um, I should say there was a moment in the race where I wrote in the in the work chat something like Zarko could do it because he had a a harder tire on the rear than fabio there was a moment in the race whenever i sent out a tweet from the 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 race account saying the same thing and then the inevitable fabio quartararo ruined our hopes and dreams yet again winning by five seconds it was 1.3 at that point i think it was five seconds by the end what can you do but anyway zarko was good still i think long overdue a first moto gp win i think i think only a few races ago, I would have said that there's no competitive justification for, say, keeping Zarco at Pramac over Miller. I thought Miller was a bit younger. I thought he was his peak was a bit better. I thought he was, you know, he was just more able of delivering the highlights. But now, now Zarco is the highest scoring Ducati in the championship. Now he's on an excellent ride of form. I'm I'm glad they're keeping him. I'm glad he's found a place where he's enjoying life. I think he just needs to win a race, man. That, that'd be good. <laughs> like 15 I've been podiums. That for two years, 15 mate. 15 podiums within a win, without a win. He's been good enough to win. He's he's good. A, a bit of context as to how hard it was after the race. Um, we've had MotoGP press conferences delayed by like 15, 20 minutes. Live TV podcast. Uh, press conferences delayed because a writer has dared to turn up in shorts and they've been sent away to change into trousers again. Um, post-race press conferences are always done in leathers. Today they were done in shorts and t-shirts because the guys were that hot afterwards. Um, 
Zarko. They look cooler. Yeah, it looked a lot more Press relaxed, conferences eh? and shorts and t-shirts. They yeah, look great. Ready yeah. for the summer break already. Yeah. Um, the, the, like, I'm glad Zarko's saying. Um, it's not f- official yet, but Team Boss Paolo Chabadi told me on Saturday that, that basically it's a done deal and that that makes complete sense because Primark wants him. He wants to stay. Jacare wants him. You know, why wouldn't you? Um, but he needs to win a race. Just for our own peace of mind, now, I think more than I think he's now I think three podiums ahead of Colin Edwards in the most MotoGP podiums without a race win, um, and set third is Graham Crosby in the eighties, maybe. Yeah, so that it's about it's right. not a big yeah. list. It's not a big list, um, and he's like, yeah, he's well clear at the top of it. Um, everyone wants to see a backflip. <laughs> you know what? I'd say he's a more talented MotoGP rider than Edwards. So Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I don't know about Crosby. I I've watched some of that and Crosby looked okay. Crosby yeah. looked pretty good. But 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 no, definitely he's he's he is more talented than Edwards, who should have been a MotoGP race winner if he wasn't an idiot at Assen, actually. Oh, yeah. I I rewatched that. That was amazing. Genuinely. <laughs> that won the title for Nicky Hayden. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. That crash. But it, it's it's a bizarre run really cuz if you go back to 250s, you'd win the 250 title and you would pretty well be guaranteed a uh, a big class ride and you would win a race. But, you know, you then look at someone like uh, Tony Elias, he won a big race. Stefan Bradl didn't win a big race. Marc Marquez, done. Paul won the Moto2, not won a big race. Rabat. Zarco Morbidelli has won a big race. Bagnaia's won a big race. Alex Marquez, Bastianini obviously won a race and Gardner at the moment. So it's not maybe the given that it used to be. Well, and it shouldn't be. It, it, it shouldn't be a guarantee. MotoGP is clear of Moto2. Moto2 is a really good championship. MotoGP is the biggest voice club. It should not be a guarantee. I didn't say it was a guarantee, but no, I, know I think there's just I less mean, people I... winning big races now than the 250s. I know it's an old rose-tinted kind of conversation, but just a conversation. But but also, Zarco would probably be a MotoGP race winner now if he had, say, went to Pramac from Tech 3 Mm. and not have a, the board of KTM year and then the need to go to a Sponsorama and work his way up through. You know, He's done his, it twice. His career, yeah, but but he lost two years of MotoGP time, um, realistically. Like the KTM year, we, we, we couldn't have won a three-legged race in the KTM year. Um, and then the, the Sponsorama setup just wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't what he has now. Um, even though he did do a reasonably good job on it on occasion. Um, but yeah, I, I think in a, in a different circumstance and a slightly different, slightly different career tra- trajectory, he would be a race winner. Yeah. And the thing is, well, right now he would 100% be a race winner as well. If the guy that he kept finishing second to wasn't someone that doesn't crash. Yeah. <laughs> if he was finishing second to Peko Bagnaia every weekend instead of Fabio Quattararo, he'd be a race winner by now because Bagnaia would have fallen off in front of him. Yeah. That's, that, that is the reality of his podiums at the minute. Elsewhere with Ducati, Jack Miller, he had a long lap penalty to surf, but he still came back to finish in third position. 
ironically nearly crashed on the long lap because there was some gravel left on the road. Was that after the Juan Mir incident? I think it was. But uh, yeah, would he have been into second position were it not for the long lap? Probably not. But even so, uh, yeah. I mean, works to Catty. I'm hard on works to Catty this year, and I I've said that they need to pull the finger out. Uh, yes, Ducati have won races, but as a team, it's just not working. Um, Miller has, of course, been announced as being works KTM next year. But, yeah, he's there and thereabouts. Third position, another podium. What to say? No, it was, it was good. It was, a, it was a good Miller weekend, especially considering his, his recent form. Um, I think MotoGP.com uh, pit lane reporter slash co-commentator Simon Crafar has been very adamant for much of the weekend that the change Miller made in the post-Barcelona test will bear fruit for the rest of the season. This will be his consistent form that he's going to properly arrive as a Ducati works rider just as he has to leave. I don't necessarily believe that, but it, it was a, I, I can see why a weekend this good would, would inspire that sort of confidence. I think he maybe would have been second if not for the long lap penalty. The long lap penalty, of course, for crashing under yellow flags, so... Hard to complain there, particularly. But he had he had a really convincing, really good race, fighting his way from a, a pretty reasonable early setback. I mean, long lap penalty, not the end of the world, but not pleasant, especially in MotoGP, especially when you're running up front in MotoGP. I think it was good. Uh, but I'm not, you know, if I'm Ducati boss, Ciabatti or Tardozzi or Dalini, I'm not sitting there right now being horrified by the fact we've let him go especially as they have 50 other riders to fit on, on their bikes. Uh, teammate Banyaya, third pole of the year on the Saturday, second pole on the trot for Ducati at the Saxon Ring because Zarco had a pole there 12 months ago. But, of course, Banyaya crashed on lap four. The back came around. He said after the race he still cannot understand why. But my experience tells me in the mists of time he, they, Ducati will understand. Uh, they've had a quick look at the data. It will it will sink in. He'll wake up on Wednesday morning at three in the morning and go, ah, oh, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. Um, that's just my take on it. But he keeps flipping, crashing. Goodness me. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Easier said than done from this point of view. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Don't get me wrong. But he needs to have the chat with with Quattararo's psychologist over the winter? I, I, I don't think it's a psychology thing as much as a... Honestly, it might be like a, a, a talent thing. With all respect to Becco, who's an excellent rider, but Fabio clearly just performing on another level and is more comfortable at the level that he is at right now. As for the crash itself, I don't know if he, if he was a little bit offline and just caught some of that lower grip offline and that chucked him off. It's... It, it was. It's hard to say. It was a. It was a weird looking crash, and obviously, right behind him, Joan Mir crashed offline while being passed by Miguel Oliveira. So it's probably just not the most pleasant of, of places on the track, and early laps. Uh, but it's true that it's something that we've come to expect from Pecco, which I think he also himself acknowledged speaking to to media after the race. He acknowledged that Fabio is a just a more complete rider, which is is true. And that the fact that Pecco doesn't understand the crash doesn't absolve him, but in fact is something that is a problem, is something that he needs to work on. 
he needs to figure out. He's a he's a clever, honest guy. He's very talented. He'll dig himself out of this one, but just you know, it's a problem that the the season is twenty races, and like even if you crash out in two of them, you're up against a guy who just refuses to fall. So like you could. Pecco from now on could win every single race for the rest of the season, and he wouldn't come close to a title, I think. So, yeah. Pecco Bagnaia would stop crashing tomorrow if Fabio Quadraro wasn't there. Um, he's, he's trying to keep up with someone that's faster than him. I think that's the problem. That's the whole problem. And it sounds so brutal to say it, but I don't think he's as good. And at the end of the day, that's why we go racing to find out who's the best. And it, right now... It is hands down Fabio Quartararo. It's it's next level. You don't have to be the best to win the title. No, you don't. You don't have to be the best yeah. to win the title, but it sure helps. But it sure helps. Yeah. There's only the odd championship where the ultimate best rider wins it. They happen now and again. But as a rule, simple. Score the most points and get on with it. It was the same when Valentino dominated on the V5. It was the same when Valentino dominated on the M1 the first time round. Um, Stoner turns up, woof, gone. Um, and that's what we got at the moment with Quattararo. Uh, that's it. It, it. I think it's a joy to watch at the moment. I think he's. I think. I think. I think it's fascinating because I genuinely don't think at times he's got the best bike for the circuit, but he's the best rider over the circuits, and he is into his purple patch and the purple circuits and the best circuits that he goes well at. Mark. King of the crop, king of the king of the ring, who's dominated everything forever, ain't there. So if Mark was here, would Quattararo be? Oh, I'm second again, and he'd be the flipping Zarco. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, you, you mean peak Mark of peak Mark? Yeah, peak Mark, peak Mark, because yeah. Quattararo is yeah. peak Quattararo at the moment. I I don't even know if that would be the case anymore. I genuinely don't even know if that would be the case anymore. That's I think well it'd be close. Maybe maybe it'd be Saxon close. ring, it would be different. But over a season. I don't know, because Mark served his time. No one's fast forever. No. And, and you know, we are watching someone new come along. And, you know, it, it's quite telling today that Bagnaya did mention Quadraro's name in the context of Stoner Marquez Lorenzo uh, Rossi. Yeah. When his rivals are pinning him as the next Stoner Lorenzo Marquez Rossi, <sighs> Pretty hard to beat him, and they and and they can't see his data. <laughs> yeah, but they can see a lot more of him than we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, they they see can more. see the other M ones. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, it's a golden era. It's a golden era. Um, so I, yeah, just to come back to Banyara, I just think that in the middle of the week, one of the data guys will put something together and it'll all add up. But um, that doesn't put him back on the bike this afternoon. Uh, Luca Marini. Haven't heard anything this afternoon from him after a brilliant fifth position. Val, you have. Yeah. And uh, it was. he said it was the first race in MotoGP that he believed in a podium. Like even coming that there were, it's not the first time he's finished fifth. And that happened in the... A uh, wet Spielberg race, but it's you know it's definitely Luca's best race in MotoGP, and it comes after a run of form that I think genuinely does prove at this point that he's finally cracked Sundays at least a little bit. Sundays were his his problem all of last year and start of start of this year. He's honestly he's been capable of qualifying the MotoGP bike really well quite early on, but the, the races just weren't working out for him and. 
honestly just it's it's both a bit of relief and also a bit of wonder for me because like he's good he's proven his place in, in MotoGP and I think all of us couldn't be happier because he's a very smart very pleasant bloke who clearly has has done a lot of thinking and is always is always there with a worthwhile thing to say clearly thinks a lot I think very very likable but there are all of these MotoGP riders now who are figuring things out and look look good and like how are all the really good Moto2 and Moto3 guys going to find places on the grid? They need to expand MotoGP to like 50 bikes but then you're not going to have enough marshals and enough safety and stuff like that. It's terrible. <laughs> this has kind of happened before um, where we've had a bit of a blockage um, in terms of talent. And uh, yeah, genuinely, it looks like it at the minute. It's going to happen again. And that's, you know, it's going to be really unfair for some people because there will be people who get churned out despite doing an okay job. The, the Darren Binders and the Remy Gardeners of the world. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, personally, I feel kind of vindicated by Marini's performances over the last four or five races because this is kind of what I expected from him from the start. If you look at his career tra trajectory in MotoGP, it's been quite similar to the Moto2 thing where he's just taken a long time to learn what he was doing, a long time to get things right. Um, but he works really hard to do that. There's a lot of his brother in him in his approach to a race weekend in that he's normally the last guy to leave the garage with the data engineer at the end of the evening. You walk through the paddock at 10 o'clock at night and Lucas just coming out of the trucks because they've done four hours of data analysis because he loves doing homework. He's always got a bundle of papers with him with like sector times to study. And you know, he, he works really hard at being talented because I think he's maybe... I don't know if it's fair to say that he's not as talented as some of his rivals and that he compensates for it with hard work. But I think when your brother is Valentino Rossi, you kind of you're never the most talented one in the family, and you're always compensating for something. If that makes sense, um, no, totally, totally uh, makes yeah, sense. And as a result, he works harder. You know, we we saw Tito Rabat win Moto Two titles by doing the same thing by being a hard worker. Um, and it is great to see Luca doing it because he, like Val says, he's a good guy to work with. He's super intelligent. Um, he says good things. He says smart things. And he's he's silencing a lot of critics who said that he's there because of who he is. What's not like? Just to go back to the to the Moto2 point, uh, Augusto Fernandez today won the race by eight seconds. In other years, that would have been enough at this time of year for a MotoGP seat in 2022. Right now, oh, in 2023. Right now, not even close. That should, honestly, if there's one thing I want to convey... And I hope you guys want to convey to it's you might see certain guys in 13th, 14th, 15th. Don't underestimate how good they are. This is this is a really good grid of MotoGP riders. This is genuinely, yeah, this is one of the most stacked grids ever. And and if we look at who's likely to step off the grid for next year and the small, maybe one rider that joins, then there's an argument that it's probably the most talented grid ever. There's no weak links in on what we think will be next year's grid. None. I mean, let's compare this just for a moment to Formula One. And it doesn't matter what your knowledge of Formula One is. You will know that there are pay drivers on the grid for Formula One. 
There ain't no pay riders on the grid here. There's not even nothing even close. There are none. It is pure top to bottom talent. They are there because the team manager, team principal, manufacturer wants that person on their bike, not because they got a load of cash that could choke a donkey out of their back pocket. No. Those are the odd little stickers top up here. That's life. I get that. But not 50% of the budget. I don't even think they'll be that next year. That's how good we were at. Mm-hmm. There's a couple this year, but they don't need to be there. They don't need to be bringing money next year. I, I should say F1 pay drivers are better than most people think, but they're still pay drivers. And MotoGP yeah, doesn't quite But they've much. got that. Yeah. tag haven't they yeah. you know yeah, da- yeah. Dad, dad buys team you know <laughs> this is this is for an, another podcast this is for ed straw's podcast so yeah no it is it is an interesting log jam it is uh, a very interesting log jam um uh, only one suzuki on the grid alex rins unable to start the race after his barcelona accident he did some laps in practice but it didn't work out so only juan mir let the clutch in at the start of the race he only did three laps or so. Um, not good, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just let's reset for the sake of clarity, Simon. Have we had an announcement from Suzuki about next year yet? We're still waiting to find out what's going to happen. What's going to happen, he says in inverted commas. Um, I mean, <laughs> if they're going to be in the grid, they're not going to be. They're not going to have any riders to do it. Um, <laughs> RNF Suzuki. <laughs> Tech three Suzuki eight bikes. If <laughs> if they're if they're gonna, you know, they, that's where there will be rookies in the grid next year. Maybe we're gonna see yeah. Mr. Fernandez and Aaron Canet on uh, a pair of Suzukis because they're the only riders Man, I'd left. Be okay with yeah, that. that actually wouldn't be a terrible thing. There. But um, I mean, something's going on in there. The, the, there's politicking and there's lawyers talking to lawyers, but there's no way they're staying. I'm I'm really disappointed with Joanne's season. And it's it's weird to say because it doesn't like it doesn't maybe feel that much worse than 2021. But I think 2021 was his best season in MotoGP so far, and I think this is his worst. And I think there's like whatever they've done to the new bike in addition to adding power, or maybe it's just the added power. I don't know, but it's something is clearly making him very uncomfortable. And for like he's one of the more positive guys on the grid always like even when he complains he still he still feels he's in decent form but like most people would be aghast at at the kind of run he's on and he says it should get better and let's see at Aston. Aston's a good place to to exercise some demons I guess but it's been it's been rough I don't know if it's I don't think it's mental because again this is a MotoGP champion we're talking about so it's just it's something with the current version of the bike, I think. But it's it's been disappointing, I think. It's purely mechanical, I think. Um, and from what sort of reading between the lines of of a few people, um, it's something to do with changing the center of gravity, and as a result, that's changed the ergonomics of the bike. Which, if you remember back to twenty nineteen, they basically spent a season working on ergonomics and body positioning to get him comfortable on the bike. And when, once they did it, they went to testing with that body, that position and he was fast in testing and he won the championship the next year. Um, and they've taken until now to get that sorted again. It sounds like they've done it. And I think that's why he was so upbeat post race today, even after crashing out, because he saw something um, in the, the brief period of time he was on the bike 
And like Val says, that's great going to Assen because Assen is a Suzuki circuit and it's one where there is a chance to, to, you know, to do what he can, to start doing what he can with the rest of the year. Because realistically, all he can do with the rest of the year now is uh, win races. Win a race. He's not fighting for it. Well, win, win a race would be, yeah. But, but you know, he can start racking up the odd win now. There's a few places coming up that are pure his territory. Um, what else can you do at this point with the project falling apart and what looks almost certain to be his new bike uh, failing to score a single point in the race in the form of the Honda? Try and win some races, Juan. Have some fun. What else is there to do? Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, isn't it? Just to, just to pick up on something else, Toby. Um, the Alex Rin situation is... Um, Man, every weekend now we're seeing riders go out in medical conditions that you think you shouldn't be on the grid. It's getting to the point where something really needs to be, like people in risk control need to be taking a good hard look at what's going on because, you know, when when riders are being past fit and self-withdrawing because of pain, when riders are being past fit and going out like Aaron Kinnett did and crashing because his broken nose, his five-day-old broken nose started gushing blood inside his helmet and he went dizzy and fell off. That's not right. Um, and it's, yeah, it's something that, it's something that needs to be addressed. I'm just making the point because obviously no one listening to the podcast is going to address it, is in the position to address it, but... It's why Mark Marquez had an operation two weeks ago uh, to fix his arm that was thirty degrees out of straight at the bone. That was originally that was originally operated on by the guy that's passing the guy's fit direction. He may well have set it straight, Simon, uh, and I'm not disagreeing with you. He may well have set it straight, but when he set it, it was on a Tuesday, and he rode a three hundred horsepower, hundred and fifty eight kilo bike on a Saturday morning. It would take you and I a flipping year. <laughs> But but here's the thing: the guy that is the guy that's the guys that are doing all these surgeries are the guys that are passing them fit to ride, and it makes them look really good whenever they're able to ride, having just been operated on by these guys. There needs to be a separation of church and state. But I was at Saxon Ring some years ago, and the local doctor, who is German from the local federation, not a Dorna doctor, who ultimately does, I believe, sign them off for the race. Simon, you're shaking your head. But at the time it was, and he put his foot down, he put his foot down and said, no, you're not racing. Casey didn't agree with that, shall I say politely. Um, but he, the doctor said, I'm really sorry. He knocked himself out. He, he whacked himself in the warm-up. That was it. That was it. On Sunday morning. And Casey said, because he's a racer, that's not his fault. No, no, I'm of course right. not. I'm all right. I'm all right, Jack. I'll be all right. And the local guy said, no, what happens if you take out and skittle six people at the first corner and then there's another accident? Like Mategi 2003, 4, 5, whenever it was. But yeah, something's not right and it's too big a conversation for, for today, but something's not right. Yeah. Something's not right. So uh, we uh, we wish Alex well to be back in full fitness soon. Maybe not too soon for Aston though. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I really did think that both Aprilia's would be knocking on the door of the podium. I said that at the top of the broadcast. Um, poor, what was going on with poor old Vinales's rear suspension? Val, did you get to the bottom of that? Did you catch up with him after the race and debrief? Yeah, I said the rear right height device failed. So another great right height device success story. But it, I mean, to be fair, I think Simon's angrier about that than I am, and, and rightfully so. But honestly, I think Simon's angrier about that than Vinales is because this was the best Maverick Vinales weekend as an Aprilia rider by a huge margin. I think I think he stocked a really big game since coming to Aprilia, and I I wanted to see it backed up by a fairly complete weekend. And this was it. This was finally it. He was good through practice. Did like I think sneak into Q2 a little bit. I don't think it was so easy. Still not so good over one lap. But for once he did not lose 20 positions on the opening lap. So that's good. And then he rode a really, really good race and I think very likely would have been on the podium if uh, the bike didn't go. And Honestly, that's that's basically all I needed to see to declare Maverick Vinales the title favorite for 2023. I'm sure I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> I jest, but you know what? Only like half. It's half jest because I kind of believe that he really is on the cusp of something special with with that bike because he is. I I still still am convinced he is a special rider. So and the bike's good. He just needs to needs to gel with it. I had a beer last night with a. a senior engineer from another factory who is insistent, adamant that the Aprilia is the best bike in the grid. He says that whenever they do the, the overlay comparison videos, that it just does everything better. Everything. And do I think Maverick Vinales is a better rider than Alicia Espigaro? Yeah, I do. Um, because he's, he's been there and done that. He's, he's been the race winner, uh, multiple race winner in a season. Um <laughs> He, I have to give him credit. He's been talking the talk for ages. He's been telling us that he's struggling for one lap, that he needed to put it all together, that it would come. And, well, look, he was right. That's the thing. Um, it has done all of those things, and it's all come together. So Assen will be a good test for him because it's a not just because it's a more normal circuit in terms of conditions and layout and everything. It's not a go-kart track built in the surface of the sun like the Saxon ring was this weekend. <laughs> um, so he... <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. He, um, he'll go to there to a track that he loves, a track that he had a very, very unhappy podium at last year. Let's not forget he was second last year there just before trying to blow up Yamaha and walking away. Um... So, yeah, I mean, if he can do it there, then you're, you're not wrong, Val. He can be a title contender next year. Just want to change one word with what you said there, Simon, which is something you just said. You said, you know, Vinales is a better rider than Aleish. Vinales was a better rider, but not anymore in my book. I think he's had his day. I don't think we're going to see the second summer from Vinales. Oh, I don't think, I don't think it's mm. gone. Okay. He's like 22. He's not 22. He's not 22, but he's really young. He's, he's young. still really, really young. <laughs> Aleish yeah. isn't. Sorry, Aleish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Apart from Aleish and Dovey. 
Um, but to, to circle back to the other point, um, right height devices, I, I just ban them, ban them now, ban them for assing, take them off the bikes. They serve no pump purpose except to go slightly faster and make braking slightly more dangerous because you're going slightly faster. In, a pro- in the process, they make it difficult to overtake. They make it more dangerous. They overload the tire and then cause front tire problems. Um, you know, people love to blame Michelin for some of MotoGP's woes at the minute. The problem is that the Michelin tires are doing things they're not supposed to do because these devices have made the bikes so different. And they add nothing. They don't add any functionality to the the racing. It's if everybody's got the same tool, well, you just get there faster, you know. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And, you know, we're talking about, we're having conversations on a semi-regular basis now about whether traditional classic iconic MotoGP circuits like Mugello and Saxon Ring and Hareth are still fit for purpose because the bikes are getting too fast and too dangerous for them. Well, there's one really easy way to at least temporarily solve that problem. Ban the ride-out devices because it slows the bikes down. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think we're going in a really stupid route with them and I don't see any benefit. And I'm not the only one that, that feels that way because basically, word for word, that's what Alicia Spagaro said this afternoon too. He says he doesn't care that Aprilia have one of the best ones on the grid. He w- too would quite like to see them banned for Assen. That's a strong statement. The, the counter argument, the counter argument from Miller was that it's just another mechanical part that fails and ultimately he's correct so i can only offer my opinion which is the same as simon's almost i don't think it'd be fair to bin it off for assen i don't quite love that but for 2023 like as a long longer term thing but i but i'm a luddite so i I don't know i don't know what this is worth really for whatever this is worth i don't want to see them anymore they bore me now they bored me from the start remove them and also remove all the crap winglets too and <laughs> all right yeah that that's another fight but let, let's win this battle first and then we'll come back to that one i if you're gonna ban something mid-season i'd i'd take them off after Aston because then there's a bit of time for them to analyze data before yeah. silverstone and even that would be a push because it probably needs a hundred percent agreement in MMSA, MMSA, and one team would say no just to be awkward because they're like that. Ducati, Ducati, and would say no. yeah, uh, but but here and now, the this is a question: the most mechanical failures we have seen this year are right hand devices. Right hand yeah. devices. Yeah, no. Th- this is this is the fundamental problem with Miller's argument. Miller said it's another device like an engine. But engines break don't break. A race. When, was the, when was the last race we had two yeah, blown quite. engines? And Binder did, Binder did wet Indonesia with it on its backside, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Um, it's, it's, I can see why they do it, but let's go back to an old guy in the 1980s in Formula One, a guy called Elio De Angelis, very classy guy. He reminds me, uh, uh, Zarco reminds me of De Angelis. And the Angelis would say, what's the point in going testing? <laughs> well, we need to go faster. He says, yes, but all we do is that we end up going to the Grand Prix on the Saturday afternoon with the grid in the same order. We're just half a second quicker. And that's the same thing true about Reinhardt devices, isn't it? It's the same order. We're just half a second quicker. <laughs> Elio died in testing, didn't he? He did die in testing, yeah. Yeah. And right. the, the, the thing about what you say about the rule change, obviously, whenever I say ban them for Arsenal, I'm being slightly 
reactionally. But yeah, because I'm not the one. But I'm I'm not the one that just gets to decide it anyway. So it's irrelevant that I say it should happen for next week. But the problem is the people that are just do get to decide it is the the MSMA, the Motorcycle Sports Manufacturers Association, and that shouldn't be the case because expecting engineers to decide the technical rules is like expecting riders to decide the safety rules. We're not here to build the most technologically advanced motorbikes in the world. We're here to provide entertainment. And it shouldn't be up to engineers to decide the rules for entertainment. It needs to be the FIM to stand in because they don't it want anybody to It needs to be a higher power. Because at the end of the day, it's the FIM's championship that they franchise out to Dorna. But I think in the end, for me, how they get banned exactly and who has to make what concessions and who gets, you know... I, I rub your back if you rub mine. That's for me. That's also part of the game. Yeah, the horrible. So that, sorry, Val. Sorry, Val. The, the the horrible truth of the matter is, it we don't want to have an accident make people's minds up. No, for sure, for sure. But this is MotoGP where everything is reactive and nothing is proactive. Okay, well, let's see how that one uh, pans out. But uh, yeah, unlucky for Vinales, and I do feel sorry for him. But um, let's see about that 2023 championship, shall we, Val? I'll uh, I'll see you at the bar and I'll buy you an awful lot of beer if that's the case. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, KTM, well, uh, they kind of won the Moto3 race with another brand and they dominated the Moto2, but it's still not clicking in the big class for the factory squad of Binder and uh, Miguel Oliveira. What do they say on a Sunday night at the moment, Simon? They actually sounded relatively optimistic this week. Um, they sounded like they've made not well. The satellite duo of, of Remy Gardner and uh, Raul Fernandez described it as a step forwards. The factory guys didn't, but it's clear that they found something a little bit better. Um, th- there's slow and steady progress there, which is not to be unexpected off the back of a test as well. Um. Yeah, it's not going to be fixed overnight, but they are slowly getting there. They, they Both Binder and Oliveira looked better in chunks of the weekends, but the one chunk that they really need to nail and just aren't nailing right now, qualifying, still looks bad. Uh, both uh, both KTM, all four KTMs missed uh, Q2 for the fifth successive race, which is the kind of streak that... I looked it up after the previous one. That's not happened in 2021. It's not happened in 2020. Not happened in 19. Not happened in their first year in 17. Did happen in 18, which was a, a huge mess. But otherwise, it's just it's not supposed to be happening. Now that obviously that reflects the fact that we have eight Ducatis and just a stronger grid. But it's also it's just not good enough. And that's you know they need to they need to get on top of that. So arguably, the bit that they need to fix is actually the last five minutes of FP3. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Mark Marquez, he had the operation on his arm two weeks ago. He had a checkup a few days ago in Madrid. And he said, coming into, not that he was there, but he said in the run-up to the Saxon Ring race, that uh, the doctors are happy, um, he's taking it steady, he's got no pain, it's very important, because he did have a lot of pain before, remember? He's uh, literally taking the dog for a walk, moving his body, but being very careful with the arm. Um they're not going to make that mistake twice, are they, Simon? No, they're not. Um, literally, the, the only yeah, we we got some information on Mark's status, 
Um, but literally the, the only thing that we sort of learned this weekend that we didn't already see in his social media didn't come from the statement. It came from from some comments made by perhaps a Honda boss, Alberto Poge, who kind of admitted that it's very important to see Mark back on the bike for preseason testing, um, which I think is quite telling of a time. It's the first time anything approaching a timeline has come out of the camp. Um, and it, it's not pie in the sky if it's being said at that level. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether or not we'll see him back in action this year. If you were him looking at the current bike, I don't know if you'd be rushing, <laughs> you back, be rushing back in action back. this year. Um, maybe what they actually need to do is formally announce that Stefan Bradle is the new Repsol Honda rider and Mark is the test rider until the end of the year so that he can go and do all the preseason testing for them during the second half of this year once he is fit again. Think they can? Can they do that? Get the rule book out. Can they do that for next year? I don't Mm. actually know how you substitute a rider. That but they're bound to be able to do something, right? They're going to announce him as tester, and then they're going to buy Bradle a big fake cast, and he's going to spend all of 2023 pretending to be injured, and Mark's going to be his replacement rider. But they they don't have to do it for 2023. They have to formally substitute them for the latter half of 22, and then Mark can make his return. I still like my cast idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. What are you two like? What are you two like? Okay, well, uh, at least it's going in the right direction, being serious for a moment, and that's the main thing for Mark Marquez. Now, we had our full hour of podcast last time out with questions from you guys, the listeners. You started the conversation with us through you guys sending in voice messages to podcasts at the-race.com email. And we've got one question here to finish off this week, which is from Down Under. G'day, gents, and shout out to Matt Beer, the Stefan Bradle of the podcast. Greg from Cairns, Australia, and I wanted to know if you guys think MotoGP should be capped at four bikes per manufacturer, given there are six manufacturers, yet 30% of the grid are Ducatis. Thankfully, our 2021 fears of a Ducati Q2 or race day domination haven't really worked out, as they've been considerate enough to park a few of their bikes into the gravel trap each weekend but I'd hate to see a championship that ends up as Honda vs Yamaha. Also, shout out to Ben and Adam too. I'm on the podcast. Uh, Cheers for the question, Greg. Um, I get your point. I do. I'm not particularly a fan of there being of any bike on the grid. Um, But the fact of the matter is that right now, I think if there weren't eight Ducatis in the grid, there'd be probably 18 bikes in the grid because I don't know if there's anyone else that would be willing to do what they're doing. Um, you know, we they're, they're sort of stomping up where no one else is, um, which is not a bad thing in, in order to keep the whole thing alive. You know, we're losing a manufacturer next year. Um, so even if we were limiting everyone to four bikes, we'd only have a 20-bike grid. We'd immediately lose another team. And it would be a bit of a struggle to even see some of those manufacturers, um, you know, provide... Well, we've seen with with Aprilia, it's taken until this year until they're able to, or next year until they're able to provide four bikes. I think what we will see is a bit of a natural reshaking of the order for 2024 anyway. Uh, it's no secret that the VR46 contract with Ducati ends at the end of 2023, and you'd think that Yamaha would be moving pretty hard to get something fixed there. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an ideal situation at the minute, but it, it's a bit almost like the CRT years where it's a solution to a problem. Yeah, I I agree. I, I, I see Drex point, certainly. And normally, 
you know, myself, I'm a fan of governing body interference and making everything as neat and tidy and possible. But in, in this case, I'm weirdly, I don't know if this is a word I should be using on this podcast, but in this case, I'm weirdly libertarian. It's working. Like the satellite teams we have are good and they're happy with their partners right now. Well, the one that isn't happy is switching to another partner. So, you know, um, the grid, I think, is obviously better for having, you know, Grassini Ducati and VR46 Ducati instead of forcing them to go to to another manufacturer. Like, imagine if VR46 had been forced to go to Suzuki, they would have had to be negotiating a new bike deal with somebody else anyway. Um, that, uh, it's it's a tough one. It's, it's a really tough one because I, I certainly see the appeal of it being, you know, for for bike for every manufacturer absolutely see that and i see the the threat of maybe what if ducati makes a rocket ship and it's ducati's p1 p2 p3 p4 like it's basically it's 2015 red bull ring but every race every time um i think it, honestly even that i think would be kind of interesting and kind of fun as a as a change of pace but i i like the way it is right now i i think ducati is doing a very good job uh, keeping its satellite team satisfied and I think that it's up to the other manufacturers to to offer their satellite teams something better, a closer relationship, maybe a, a step higher up on the rung of satellite teams. There is one thing I would change, though, and it is I would force every manufacturer to nominate a rider to score points into the manufacturer championship uh, every weekend instead of just taking the top rider. Because right now, Ducati is going to win this season again, and it's happening by virtue of it there being eight bikes. It's it's a very good bike, but it's also like it's making it a non, no contest. So I would I would do that. It's a very minor thing, but you know. Yeah, no, and and that's a valid point. And it happened in world rallying. Some yeah, teams would have yep. three cars, and they could only nominate the two drivers. And sometimes the non-nominated driver would finish ahead of the oh, extra fun story. Yeah. Extra fun story, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're right about the Valentino Rossi, the VR46 team. They've obviously got their Yamaha Moto team in uh, Moto2 team, you know, the Master Camp squad. So in Moto2, so that would all fit. Uh, regarding filling out the grid, you're absolutely right about CRT. It's just business for Carmelo and Dorna. They need to fill it out. They need to. It's a stopgap, and Ducati can stopgap. I hear what you say, Val, about them over dominating it might happen at one grand prix or the odd circuit here and there but it'll never happen over 20 circuits we love motorcycle racing because ultimately it's the rider that makes the difference look at what the yamaha was like in 2003 i don't think it even had a podium or if it did it had one with alex barros the next year valentina turns up wins the first race so I know that's 18 years ago, but it still, in my view, works today because look what's happening with Honda and Marc Marquez. He's not there, they're nowhere. So, yeah, Ducati are helping Dorna out and the sport out short term, and we must applaud them for that. So then, 10 races down, 10 to go, halfway point reached. Grin, Simon. Halfway point reached, we've got Assen this coming weekend, then a big summer break, Silverstone, Austria, Mizano, Aragon, Mategi, Thailand, Phillip Island, Sepang. Four races in Southeast Asia and then finishing up in Valencia. Funny story just to sign off with, it is 9 p.m. at night. I'm sitting in the media center at the Saxon Ring. The only people left are me and my wonderful girlfriend, Maddie, sitting next to me. And after a day of worrying about the weather and a podcast talking about the weather, it's just started to rain.
No, that's that's bloody. So you're going to get wet on the way back to the van. Sorry about that, but uh, funny, yeah. funny statistical story. I think I checked this before before the podcast, but I didn't quite realize that. I believe that Fabio Quartararo's lead at the halfway point of last season was exactly the same as it is right now. So the more things change, the more they never change. It was so. forty points. Forty points. No, it was forty points into the summer break after. It, I think. No, it's forty points after ten Grand Prix. Just after, 10 yes, but Grand that wasn't Prix. the halfway point. Well, that was not the halfway it's point. ten races. Never mind. I ain't going to argue. We run out of time. Keep in touch with the-race.com for all of your MotoGP and Formula One news. In the meantime, from Val, Simon, myself, Toby, speak after Assen. That's next up. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.